that a man would lay down his life. Come on now. For a friend. Huh. <laughs> Real where they do that at, huh? <laughs> Come on. No greater love. says that it's possible that for a friend a good man might lay down his life. It's possible. But don't miss the love in the resurrection. The love in the resurrection is that Jesus Christ laid his life down for enemies for people who did not like him, care about him. In fact, he laid his life down for the folk crucifying him. How many times have you ever heard the person being murdered pray for the person killing them? And that's what Jesus Christ did. And that's why this songwriter could say emphatically, no greater love, no no greater love. No greater love. And the question is, why? Why? Why would he do it? It's the question, Lindbergh, of the ages. Men have been wondering since Jesus' time, why would someone die? Why would a God who loves his only son allow him to die? in this manner. Why would he, why would it happen? Why would he allow him to be killed? If he's all powerful, why wouldn't he stop it from happening? If he knows all, couldn't he see it coming? Why didn't he stop the treachery that was going on? Well, today when we leave this place, my prayer is that this resurrection will leave you slightly more enlightened, more enlightened about the why in the resurrection. Why did it have to happen? More importantly, why did God permit it to happen? And I came to tell you something today that may shock some of you. Not only did God permit it, he required it. God required this to happen. It was something that God set in motion for the redemption of the ones he called his people. And when he set it in motion, there was only one qualified person who could fulfill the requirement. 
and his name was Jesus. What, what's more amazing about this cast is that 700 years before the events actually took place, the prophet Isaiah predicted it would happen exactly the way that it happened. Isaiah chapter 53. An Old Testament scripture for a New Testament celebration. I'm going to read it to you. I want to read it in the King James Version, and then I want to read it in another version that I think flows a little bit easier. Verse 1, the prophet was inspired to write, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Verse 5 reads, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes. We are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he openeth not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Yet it pleased the Lord. Verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord. That was the King James Version. Another version reads, But it was the Lord who decided to crush him and make him suffer. The Lord made his life a penalty offering. But he will still see his descendants and live a long life. He will complete the things the Lord wants him to do. 
700 years before the events at Calvary. 700 years. Isaiah wrote the events as if he were an investigative reporter watching them unfold before him. This prophecy was given to him. And we see it unfold in the celebration that we have today. What kind of precision is this? Well, one thing it shows you is that the Lord knew exactly what he was doing. It also ought to give you the validation that the Lord is aware of everything that goes on with us. And that even though he doesn't intervene in the activities of men, he allows it to take, to take place. We want you to understand that the crucifixion and resurrection is the greatest act of love mankind has ever experienced. And we don't want you walking around unaware of its purpose. We don't want you to think it was simply cruelty on the part of men who took Jesus' life. Jesus made it plain before he allowed them to try him unjustly and crucify him that no man takes his life. He said, I give it freely. This was a voluntary act, and it was done for you. In this society that we live in today, people wonder the value of a relationship with Jesus. They think, I don't need to have a connection to this man because my life ain't that messed up. Yeah, I don't need to have a savior because I'm pretty good most of the time. I don't need a savior because I ain't lost by my standard. I know where I am. But I came to tell you that everybody who came after Adam and Eve was lost. Everybody who came after the sin that was committed in the garden meets the definition of lost by, Adam, by heaven's standards and needed a way to get back in relationship with the Lord, and they tried. We can go through the rest of the Old Testament and see the actions of all the folk trying to get back into good graces with the Lord, and they tried. All the saints of old that you've read about in all your Sunday school classes, they tried to get back into good graces with God, and yet it never worked out. They failed time and time again because there's something about this flesh that always gets the way of our spiritual relationship with the Lord. And so the plan was struck even before Adam and Eve were. The plan was struck that Jesus Christ, who was always in heaven with the Lord, would ultimately have to leave his throne on high and come down and rescue us. Think about that now. Think about what Jesus gave up to come down here and live with us. And people wonder, if he was the son of God already, wasn't there another way for him to rescue us and save us? Well, that's told on the backdrop of us even thinking we need to be rescued and saved in the first place. Yeah, people have a hard time believing that a loving God 
would let this happen. I came to tell you today, and you need to write this down in your planner, in your Bible across the front, that Jesus paid it all for us. He paid, he paid it all. He did everything that needed to be done. This Bible passage tells us the why. And it starts out telling us about Jesus Christ. I love the fact that Jesus didn't come in today's vernacular as a star. He didn't come as a rock star. He came as a, what we would describe today, a nobody. Nobody would have paid attention to him. Nobody would have even identified him. If you had stuck Jesus in the middle of a crowd, you couldn't pick him out as one who was special. How do I know? Because Isaiah predicted that that would be him. He says it. He says, who would have believed us if we told him in the first place? that this would have been the one who would be here to save us. He said he grew up like a small plant before the Lord. Nobody knew him. Said he didn't look like much, so nobody paid attention to how he looked. He didn't come from any background that was worth noting. I love the everydayness of our Savior. I love the commonality of Jesus Christ because how many of y'all know that if he had born, been born into riches that we might have never found out what salvation was all about. But one thing God wanted us to know is that salvation is for anybody. And it's for everybody. And so he sent an any man to him, to us, for our rescue person. Yeah, the concept of this man coming blew the mind of the religious establishment. They kept looking for somebody official somebody important. It, it, it had to be somebody who knew Torah and who knew scripture and who knew the prophets. They thought about somebody who sat in the class and learned all about the prophets. But little did they know that God thinks bigger than us. He didn't need somebody that sat in a class and learned the prophets. He sent somebody who already knew the prophets before they were born. He sent somebody who gave the prophets the word they had to speak in the first place. And that's why when a young man, a young boy whose name was Jesus sat in the temple time after time teaching the elders, he sounded like one who had authority. You know why? Because he was the authority. John says he was the word. And so it makes sense that the word could speak about himself in terms that were mind-blowing. He was so articulate in his presentation of who God was, that the folk in church, we talked about it last week, wanted to kill him. They were so intimidated by his confidence and by his, assurance, by his, his sure statements that it blew their mind. And so because of that, they had to get rid of him. And Jesus knew that they wouldn't be able to take what he was bringing. And so these first these first few verses in this passage that I gave you prophesy that Jesus was a nobody who talked like he was somebody. Can I tell you, when you're a nobody and you talk like you're somebody, that intimidates folk. Oh, yeah, they think you need to, they, as one legislator, legislator in Tennessee said it today, you talk like you're an uppity nigga. How dare you? have the ability to articulate who you are. How dare you speak to me as if we're equals? 
How dare you not bow and acknowledge that I have superior training over you? How dare you? This is what Jesus meant when he came up in the temple and all of the high priests looked down on him as if to say, who is this young boy to come up in here talking to us like this? He was the son of the living God in human form. And as he grew these years, they only watched him grow in stature and in form. He still didn't have a name in all his 33 years. He never picked up a house. He never had any place to lay his head of significance. You know, all the stuff we spend our time on. Jesus spent his time helping folk. Yeah, we don't even know what happened between ages 12 and 30. Yeah, the Bible doesn't even speak to what he was doing then. All we know is that around age 30 years old, he showed up and started what we call his earthly ministry. And in three short years, Jesus and the folk that he selected literally turned the world upside down. They started a legacy that we're still dealing with today, but it had already been prophesied. The thing that blew folks' mind, Bobby, is that nobody knew him. Nobody saw it coming. Who is this one? He has no form to make us notice him. There was nothing in his appearance to make us even desire him. He was hated and rejected by the people in three years. He went from nobody to somebody everybody wanted to get rid of in three years. And so they made it so that in that three years' time, after he showed that he could give folks their sight, when they were blind. He could give them words in their mouth when they were mute. He could give them hearing when they were deaf. He could feed thousands of people with small resources. He could give people the ability to walk who had been lame since they were born. He could do extraordinary things, but when he showed them, not only could he control the wind and the waves and the natural elements cast, but when he showed them, showed them that he was not even intimidated by death, the hue and cry was, he's got to go. Oh, he's got to go. And so they killed him, as we sing all the time, there on that rugged cross. He was hated and rejected. Walk with me now. If you don't have your Bible, verse 3 says he was hated and rejected by people. He had much pain and suffering. The Bible says people would not even look at him. He was hated and didn't even notice him. Can I tell you, the same folk who had followed him in that three-year ministry, the same folk who probably participated in the uh, food truck rally that he had out in the desert when he fed everybody out there, the same folk who came and went to the party at Lazarus' house, the same folk who were around celebrating after he made the, line, the lame man walk, after he healed a man who was laying by the pool. The same folk who had celebrated all those times when they put him on the cross, they wouldn't even look at him. They wouldn't even speak up for him. They wouldn't even, in fact, they chanted that get rid of him instead of the thief over there on the cross or the, the insurrectionist named Barabbas. They traded Jesus for a known criminal and left him on the cross. That's how folk do you. They'll ride with you when things going good. But just a moment's turn and they'll act like they never knew you in the first place. 
But I wish I could say it was just the folk who were in the outside circle. Can I tell you, sometimes it's your inner circle that will act like they never knew you. Sometimes it's the one who ate dinner with you every night. Yeah, the one who you gave your debit card to and said, get what you want. Sometimes it's them that'll turn their back on you. In this instance, he told his friend Peter, Peter, yeah, when they come snatch me before it's over, you're going to act like you never knew me three times. And Peter almost swore on his, on his folks' grave. Yeah, no, Lord, it'll never be me. Yeah, on God, as they say now, which is blasphemous. On God, on God, I ain't going to do it, Jesus. It ain't going to be me. I'm with you, I'm with you when I'm with you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jesus said, don't talk about my daddy like that. <laughs> yeah, don't be hollering no on God. And as it would be the case, Peter denied him three times and it crushed him. He needed better help after he denied Jesus because Jesus told him all about himself. And this resurrection morning, I love the fact that Jesus is the kind of forgiving Savior who will make a, he will make a specific point to take care of you individually. It makes sense that he came and died for all of us. But can I tell you, you ought to say this, he came and died for me. Yeah, no, he came and died specifically for me. He had me on his mind when he died. Me and my kind of vile, me and my kind of lying, me and my kind of treachery. He had me and my mistakes on his mind when he went to the cross. How do I know it? Because the same kind of Jesus who could take time after the resurrection to call all his disciples together made sure he took care of his boy Peter. He said, go get the disciples and Peter and tell them, I said, meet me in the house up here. Jesus loves each one of us, especially after we mess up. Especially after we mess up. He loves us. He doesn't forsake us. And so the Bible says, according to Isaiah, that he took our suffering on him and felt our pain for us. Whatever it was we would do, Jesus took it for us. The only way that people could be so cruel to Jesus up on that cross, who had done nothing wrong, hear me now, the only way we can justify in our mind that Jesus deserved to be on that cross was to write him off as a sinner. That's how we do that psychologically. Because otherwise, it doesn't compute in our psyche, all right? That's how you write somebody off. Somebody you know is good. Somebody you know has been cool. You say in the back of your mind, I ain't really never know them like that. But when you see them in trouble, your psyche tells you to say, well, if he's in trouble, he must have done something wrong. Well, can I tell you right now, here's proof that plenty of folk get taken out the game and still haven't done anything wrong. Circumstances can be such that it can make it look like you've done something wrong. 
People can make it seem like you've done something wrong. Can I tell you another way? People can even lie on you and say you did something wrong, but that doesn't mean you actually did something wrong. Just because Jesus is being crucified doesn't mean he's a sinner. But that's how men justified it to themselves. He got to be more than just a good teacher. He doing something. He must be, you know, gambling or something. He got to be, it's got to be something. The Jews of the early day, y'all, were black and white in their thinking. There was no nuance to it, all right? Seeing Jesus on the cross made them forget all the good stuff that he had done over the course of his ministry. Yeah, and so Isaiah... And the rest of the Bible tell us that the real reason that Jesus suffered was because God required it. All right? Simply put, the real reason, I'm going to use a word that doesn't seem to fit in the crucifixion story. The Bible in the King James Version, the original version, said Jesus died because God took pleasure in it. How in the world? Can God find pleasure in the kind of death that Jesus died? Well, in the passage, there are reasons that you can pull out pretty easily. The first is, he died, Jesus died, so he could bear our griefs. Our griefs. Yeah, we sing that song all the time. Isaiah says that he was able to take our griefs on the cross with him. The, the word grief doesn't mean in the context of that time what it means in this time, all right? In that time, grief referred to diseases and sicknesses. And so Jesus, when he died, was able to put on himself all of our diseases, and sicknesses. In fact, Matthew 8 and 17 said that after Jesus had healed many people of various illnesses and possession uh, and, and demon possession, we're told this was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. That's what griefs means under the circumstances. It also means that the Messiah, Jesus, would take upon himself the suffering of all the people. All the things that you see people, and maybe you are vexed with. Jesus died for that, all right? But at this point, it doesn't say that he's taken away their sins. That's another part of the scripture. But in this, he said he's taken our griefs. He was so afflicted that it seems to have taken upon himself the sickness and the sorrow of the world. Now, now, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about of the world now, of the world, not, not of a hospital, as if that wasn't enough. I, I don't think we can ever think about the magnitude of what God allowed to tra transpire and what Jesus did. How many hospitals are there in Birmingham? Just in Birmingham, how many sick people are in the hospital in Birmingham? And can I, can, I, can I give you one better? There are 10 times as many sick people not in the hospital 
as in an actual hospital just in our city. Now you take our city and multiply that by the world and think about the diseases that Jesus had to carry to the cross on our behalf and then you start to understand a little the magnitude of what he did. The Bible says he bore. Bore means to remove a burden from one shoulder and put it on somebody else's shoulders. That's when you, when you, when you, he bore something. He carried those diseases to take, to lift, to raise up. That's what it means to bear somebody else's illnesses. Jesus wants you to understand that your source of grief has been dealt with on the cross by him. Not only that, he suffered so he could carry our sorrows. Sorrows different from griefs means our mental issues. All right? Refers to the pains of the mind that people have, our anxieties. We suffer from them and I came to tell you that Jesus died for us so that we could have relief from the things that trouble our mind. Don't, don't let anybody tell you that a mind illness is not as bad as a physical illness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in fact, in some respects, in some respects, it's worse. The reason it's worse because in, in most physical illnesses, people can see you limp. Yeah, they can see you holding your arm a certain way, letting them know it hurts. They can see some evidence of physical problems, but when it's a mind problem, the first thing people will do is write you off. Particularly if it lasts too long, folk will say, oh, you just making up. He act like he can't never get over that situation, and that's because you can't get over that situation without something or somebody helping you. Can I tell you that Jesus paid it all? for you to get some release. The question is, who are you depending on for release? Can I tell you, after the rock is smoked, the problem is still going to be there. Oh, yeah, yeah. When you put the roach in the tray. Oh, they didn't just make roaches. And I ain't talking about the kind that Ray takes care of either. All right. I don't know what makes this generation think they have come up with new ways to get high. What is the foolishness? Y'all think y'all the first one to smoke something? Ain't a college campus nowhere. Off post in the military, stay high. Y'all think y'all got new, ain't no new weed, it's just new to you. And then, and then the folk then, I ain't going to say we, the folk then had to sneak. Y'all can do it in the wide open. Yeah, they want to legalize it. I'm not going to get into that right now. There's a whole nother sermon on that. He also, you need to know, was pierced through for our transgression. 
I just talked about your physical problems and your mental problems that Jesus died for. Now, this is according to Isaiah. This was predicted uh, 700 years before Jesus was ever on earth that he would come and deal with these issues. Jesus didn't suffer for his own sins, y'all. No, 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 no. He didn't suffer for his own sins, watch this, because he had none. He couldn't suffer for any transgression that he committed because he was sinless. That doesn't mean he wasn't tempted because he was tempted. And yet he showed us how to come and live a perfect life in submission to his father. Now you might say that's, that's hard to even imagine. It is. Absolutely, it's hard for us to imagine that someone could come live a perfect life. It's one of the reasons why he was hated and despised. Can I tell you something? You might not believe this, but it wasn't just the folk outside his household that hated him. Oh yeah, his brothers and sisters thought he was, he was always my big, my big brother, the goody two-shoes, who never did anything. See, because we can't digest being around somebody who won't do something wrong every now and then. Oh, y'all know what I'm talking about now. We spend a whole lot of time trying to get the little dude that don't drink to drink. A whole lot of time. Won't just celebrate the fact that he knows what he wants. Leave him alone. Somebody going to always put a shot glass in front of him. You won't do Jesus was that dude who never changed who he was. He was always secure in himself. He was always confident in his father's business. And so he reached the 33rd year of his life having committed no sins, no transgressions. And when he went to the cross, even though they said he was dying because he was wrong, he didn't have any wrong in him. And so he was pierced through for our transgressions. Not only that, uh, and, and, and Paul wrote it, he said, for our sake he had made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, only because we follow Jesus who was perfect, then we can have a relationship with God because he paved the way for us. Not only that, he was crushed for our iniquity, crushed for our iniquity. Go back and look at all the, all the sickness I told you about. Now make that sin. And he had all that placed on his shoulder. On his shoulder. That kind of pressure placed on his shoulder. I can't ever imagine the time. I remember when my mama first died. I used to always imagine in my grief that I would see my mama in a crowd because I was trying to digest death. And I'm wondering, what is, do you see, what if she's on another side of the world and, and she just can't get to, to, to me? And, 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 and then I walk through the mall or something and I, I catch a glimpse of somebody that I think, oh, that, that woman looked like my mama over there. But then the reality of life, there's no place in the world that my mama could go in this world and me or her children be on the other side and she not try to get to us. 
I ain't got to worry about mama trying to hide from me because mama going to come find me and her children. And so it would never be that I caught a glimpse. And if it was her, she'd run me down. And Lord, if I hollered her name, there's no crowd anywhere that she couldn't tell Donnell's voice through the rest of the crowd. Now put that in your mind and think about Jesus calling on the name of his father when he's on the cross and his father not only not responding but not being able to respond because his father in heaven is a holy God and a holy God can't have anything to do with sin and when your son has all the sin of the world laid on his shoulder you still can't respond to him, even if he's your son. You've got to ignore him. Even worse than the sin on Jesus' shoulder was the fact that his father couldn't respond to him in the worst time of his life. And he did that for you and for me. His father literally turned his back on him because of the sin that Jesus became. He became your lion. He became my backbite, my jealousy. He became all the sins that I got. All of that became Jesus. And he planned to do this from the very beginning. Remember I told you last week that a day came when he knew he had to go. Well, this is what he knew he was walking into. He was walking into becoming this, can I say, creature that was unrecognizable by heaven, even though he had come from, from heaven. And so he was crushed for our iniquity, and he was punished for our peace. So you and I could have peace with his father, Jesus was punished, chastened. You know what chastening means. Chastening is when you see a child, your child, doing something wrong, and you correct them. Come here. Come here. Don't do that anymore. That's how you chasten someone. You, we call it fussing at them. We don't use this word chasten anymore, but that's what chastening means. Correct them. Put them straight. Yeah. And... It's all because of this. Somebody ought to say hallelujah. All because of what happened when he was crucified and died that you and I are healed. It took all of that for us to get back into good graces with the Father. And he knew that the only way God the Father would accept me and you back into relationship is if he took all this. And he took it, and he took it, and he, he took it until he died. And God's blessing on his death was to resurrect him, to put life back in him. And all he asks of us is that you and I believe fully in what Jesus did for us. Don't act like you don't know when you know what Jesus did. Don't act like 
He didn't do something for you. When you know Jesus died for you, it's easy to stand here and say Jesus died for me on Calvary. But you got to know in your heart that one day a man named Jesus actually walked the earth and died so you and I could have a relationship behind his sacrifice. The ultimate purpose for the Savior suffering, can I make it plain, Brittany, is so that we can go home, y'all. That, that, that's why Jesus died. Jesus suffered for us so that we could go home. How do I know? Because the scripture says it right there. Isaiah 53 and 6 says this. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. All of us. A-L-L. There's not one of us that hasn't been straying like a sheep that's left the fold. But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all, allowing us the ability to come back home. So the ultimate purpose behind his suffering was so the lost sheep would be able to come back home. Jesus suffered and died. Because he is going to be the shepherd who's going to lead us back home. There's a famous actor by the name of Kevin Bacon. I never thought I'd be preaching and mention Kevin Bacon in a sermon. but Kevin Bacon tells a story one night on a talk show uh, of a conversation that he had with his son. And he talks about a movie that he did called Footloose. And his son says, hey dad, you know that thing in the movie where you jump up and swing from the rafters? His son was six at the time. And he says, he said, how did you do that? It's a six-year-old question. He wants to know how his daddy, who drives him to school every day, is able to jump up and swing from the rafters. And Kevin said, well, I, I didn't do that. That was a stuntman who actually did that. Uh, and so his son said, well, what's a stuntman? And he said, well, that's somebody who dresses like me, puts on my clothes, and then at that point in the movie, he does the part that I can't do. <laughs> he said, okay. And then he said, well, there's another part in the movie, you know that movie where you swing around that gym bar and you hit that guy? He said, well... How'd you do that? Once again, his daddy said to him, well, I, I didn't actually do that either. He said that was a gymnastics double. <laughs> he said he put on the outfit like I had on, and at that point in time, he swung around the bar and he did that. And so his son said to him, well, daddy, what did you do? <laughs> And he said, he said, uh, he said, I got all the glory. And that's what grace does for my life and for your life. You and I walk around like we all that. But we didn't do any of the hard work. When it came to being punished for our sins, Jesus paid it all. When it came to doing all the tough work that's got to be done to get back in the relationship with the Lord, 
Jesus paid it all. All you and I do is get the glory from what Jesus Christ has done. As if that wasn't enough, the Bible also identified how this happens. There's a story of the priest cast on the Day of Atonement. He takes two goats. And he walks the goats to the temple door. And then he prays for all the sins of all the people in the city. He takes the goats and he pulls one of them to him. And all the sins are taken. And when he prays over all the people, one of them is slain as a sin offering. And then the priest takes the blood from the one that is slain. And he rubs his hand in the blood. And he grabs the other goat that is there. And he puts the blood of the slain goat on the other lamb. And then the priest takes the lamb by his cord and he leads him to the forest with all our sins laid to bear on that goat and he releases the goat into the forest free from any consequence that goat that's released into the forest is called the scapegoat somebody ought to shout when I tell you this that we got a Jesus who loves us so much that not only was he the priest, he was also the goat. He was also the one whose blood was slain on himself. And he leads us into the forest, into freedom. He's the priest and the goat. He's the one who paid all of it for us. He's the one... <laughs> who kept that thing from falling just then. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> paid it all. And when you get knocked over, <laughs> he'll keep you from falling too. <laughs> he paid it all. Lord knows he paid it all. Yeah, and guess what? In that moment, in that moment, if you could encapsulate that moment when it, it floated out like this and before it came back that quick, it's in your heart. Whether or not you believe what Jesus did. What I came to tell you today is don't stop. Believe in what your heart tells you. I know sometimes you find yourself out there, but he'll bring you back. He'll balance you. And he'll sustain you and keep you from falling. I wonder if there's somebody today who believes in this Jesus Christ. As the leaders of this church come in today, and you want to make today the day you publicly acknowledge that you believe in Jesus. If today is the day you decide you want to be part of a church congregation, a church family, now is the time I invite you to come. We're opening, opening the doors of our church and welcoming you to a new relationship in Jesus Christ. Whosoever will, let them come right now. While the choir stands to sing this song, celebrate resurrection 
with a new relationship.